You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being here with us. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to introduce RA's new partnership with Black Minds Matter. Black Minds Matter is a charity on a mission to connect black individuals and families with free mental health services by professional black therapists. Every month in 2021, we'll celebrate a black-owned creative electronic music project by hearing their story on the podcast, on the site, and by offering some financial support. You can find the full details of RA's partnership with Black Minds Matter at ra.co forward slash about and head to the community page. On to this month's episode, Andrew Mensa is your host today. He's a journalist, a DJ and part of the family of educational music platform CDR. Today, you'll hear Andrew in conversation with Errol, who, amongst other things, is co-founder of South London musical movement Touching Bass. Ultimately, so much of the music that we know and love is black music and we are it. We know it so well. So don't undervalue what you are bringing to a space. Touching Bass started out as a column and a mix series, evolved into a widely respected dance and into a record label. In this conversation, you'll hear Andrew and Errol speak about the significance of cultivating space, pursuing a career in music when your parents have other ideas for you, mental health and Errol's experience of navigating the music industry as a black professional. Hello, welcome to a special edition of RA Exchange. You are with myself, Andrew Mensah, aka Peachy. I am a DJ journalist. I also work as a content and brand manager for music platform, educational platform, CDR, which is also known as Create Define Release. Um, and I also do some project work with um, on a music magazine, Stamp the Wax. I've also been involved in events and various other things, kind of just around doing bits and pieces, essentially. Um, I'm sure a lot of you will know what that means. <laughs> um, and I'm joined today with a great talent, a very accomplished guest, in his very early years. Um, he is a DJ, radio presenter, part-time journalist, and co-founder of, let's call it a community dance and label, um, Touching Bass. His name is Errol. Um, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Andrew. Um, yeah, thank you for bringing me into the space. Just for those who may not be aware, if you could just, I guess, just clarify in your own words what Touching Bass is to you. Yeah, so Touching Bass now lives a kind of like multi-hyphenate existence. <laughs> um, but I guess first and foremost, it's just that it's, it started out as a group of people um, 
who just wanted an, an alternative space to kind of enjoy the music that we we know and love and want to and want to explore and and discover. Um, so it's a community, firstly. Um, I guess the foundation is uh, the radio show, which started in two thousand and fourteen on the now extinguished radar radio mm. um and then went over to nts um shouts to femi um we also started a club night in that same year which we lovingly christened the dance i guess harking back to my caribbean heritage and you know them calling their own parties big people dances <laughs> um which i'm sure i'll be able to unpack a little bit later on but um yeah, so it's a club night too in normal times. Um, and more recently, it's become a concert series, uh, which we call Speaking in Sound. Um, and I guess the beautiful thing about that is that um, it's also a discussion-based series. So we invite people to come and play. We also um, then have a conversation with one of the artists and talk about life, music and everything else surrounding it in a non-alcoholic environment. Um, and that's simply because we wanted to try and create an alternative space, nightlife space, and try something a little bit different, you know, and um, I guess question our relationship with alcohol and nightlife, you know. Um, and then, yeah, even more recently, we became a record label Thank you. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess where I want to start is, is could you just tell us a bit about what you've been up to recently? What are you working on at the moment? Um, stay insane. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst the, the world, yeah, the madness of the world ensues. Um, yeah. Uh, as in work from a work perspective, you mean, or just. Yeah. From a work perspective, what you've been doing. Yeah, from work, it's, uh, I guess we've been focusing mostly on kind of leaning more into label territory with touching base. Mm -hmm. um, I think ever since I was really young and like had this fascination with, you know, the aesthetic around the label and what it means to run a label. Um, I've always wanted to, to do one, you know, mm -hmm. and we had multiple false starts and, you know, try to make things happen that didn't necessarily come through but I think that you know the way that the universe has made it happen now is the way it was supposed to be and so this year um well September to be specific we released um a record from a super talented lady called Demay mm -hmm. um who for those that don't know was part of a very innovative um UK hip hop group called Pork House. Um, and she's now going on her solo career and released her first, um, her debut EP called Life Works Out Usually. Um, <laughs> Quite apt. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like a constant mantra. Yeah, just go back to the title and we'll be okay. Um, which, yeah, yeah, has, I guess working on that. Um, it was a really beautiful experience. Mm -hmm. um, we released records before this, you know, um, released a record from Hiatus Coyote's drummer, Clever Austin, 
in 2019, um, which was also a beautiful experience. But I think where Clever Austin was over in Australia, the kind of, um, yeah, the kind of interactions felt a bit more, it was just, it was just different, you know, Um, timing wise, everything like that. Um, And Demay has been a friend for a long time. Um, I remember going to the first Hawkhouse gigs when they were called a yellow man. Like, Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's almost like our journeys have somewhat been intertwined for a very long time. And so to get to a point where we're able to work together on a project, see it all the way through and, you know, ride with an artist through the highs and lows of releasing a project. Mm -hmm. And now seeing people respond to it has been um a really incredible experience um so yeah that and then we also followed that up with um a four track oh it's actually it's a six track um ep from uh, a guy called control mm-hmm. um which is i mean i never thought I'd, we'd ever release a contemporary classical record <laughs> but i guess you could consider it that um and again, Definitely, I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, again, that record is so apt and so timely, um, beautifully written by Bradley Control, um, mostly on clarinet and saxophone, um, accompanied by a beautiful piano work um, from Duval Timothy, um, Shirley Tete on guitar and parts, Kobe Say um, on bass and Purple Ferdinand playing, uh, well, I was gonna say playing vocals, but you know, <laughs> using I mean, her, yeah, it's playing vocals, yeah, really. playing vocals. It's you know, instrument. it is an instrument, um, and yeah. So again, with him being from Lewisham, um, I should have probably explained that we're based in South London. Um, it's all very close, you know, mm. um, and so yeah, two different projects in a city, London energy, and and. Um, yeah both very reflective records yeah um and so yeah that was a very long way of saying that the label has been like a main focus at the moment as well as um yeah i guess just kind of using this year to get all of the boring back-end stuff in place which is super necessary like getting ourselves an accountant and a business manager and um, kind of like a lawyer in place as we continue to grow because I forget that, you know, in the same way that I enjoy digging through YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever it is to find new music, there's someone out there that equally enjoys looking at cells on a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, And that's great. Like yeah. you, you know, you, you do that, that's your thing. And, you know, yeah just building the team i guess you yeah know. you need those part, all those parts of the puzzle right yeah exactly i mean it's interesting i think the you you mentioned that though both those records in their own different ways have been quite timely and sort of like apt to the of the moment um do you feel like the the work you've been doing because of i mean indirectly or 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 directly because of the the recent times that we've been going through in COVID have been kind of a bit of a focus for you and have have naturally been, I guess I I imagine as well, there've been quite long-term projects, but when it comes to how we've all been dealing with 
um, trying to navigate the the recent time that's been I think because of the timing of it it's been quite natural for you to kind of like have your heads focused on the label mm -hmm. and that be something that you pour a lot of your energy into um on a work on a work tip um how would you say that aside from work when that hasn't been at the forefront of your mind that you've kind of coped in the last um six to nine months or so at times with great difficulty man mm. um as i'm sure a lot of people will um yeah empathize with um like you were saying i guess the work side of things has allowed me to have a sense of focus because as a dj djing being my main kind of um source of income that <laughs> disappeared um and so having these projects to kind of lean into gave me a sense of focus that I, I don't know what else i would have been doing but mm -hmm. um aside from work yeah i mean it's it's really been a, a real like fluctuation of of spirit of energy across this year um learning to adapt yeah. to not um being able to meet up with people as regularly and um, the effect that that has on uh, relationships with people, you know, before we flipped record, we were saying how, um, you know, like when you're used to just being able to call out your bedroom and, you know, meet up with them and have a coffee or whatever, it's just a different dynamic, you know, and I think that as a result of this year, I've had to try and be, um, easy on myself mm -hmm. where some relationships have maybe um, yeah the amount, I'm, the amount of contact I have with people is slightly like fluctuating mm -hmm. um, earlier this year I was very hard on myself just about the fact that you know yeah I wasn't in contact with people as much and I think just over time I've just realised that you know certain people including myself have just had a really hard time and um yeah just had to be at peace with that um i guess also being forced to work from home has had its own challenges um so yeah i live with my partner and i live with like one of my best friends as well and just um navigating each other's space within an intimate home um, and taking into account different working patterns and working hours has also been a challenge but I think that off the back of that we've actually we, we've grown yeah we've grown um, and learned a lot about each other as well because I mean I, I moved in with my partner like about a year and a half ago now mm -hmm. and so <laughs> Yeah, I guess learning even more about each other. And I think the one of the most important words is space and learning how to give each other space, understand space, um, understand how much I need space as well. And mm -hmm. communicating that kind of stuff has been a really important lesson this year, you know, and it's yeah. something that I'm still learning, you know. Yeah, totally. And on that, I mean, I guess I think a lot of people will relate to that. I mean, I definitely can, like, completely resonates with me. Um, and actually, I think sometimes 
it definitely allows you to to be very appreciative um of being able to of having that challenge to navigate like because you can be with other people um because you you are able to to share a space with other people i think it's probably a bit of a blessing like because those who are by themselves and must be really really struggling um and i guess like i leading on from that i kind of wanted to 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 know as well like what have there been any things um that you have done to i guess like are there any sort of learned practices or like mechanisms that you've kind of like taken on um to kind of so to speak like reach like a happy headspace or or state of mind like have you been listening to anything particular have you been doing anything have you been reading anything at all yes i think the first thing that i did which had an i mean i didn't realize the kind of effect of it initially but over time i've definitely seen it is not sleeping with my phone in the bedroom putting my phone on charge in the other room Mm. and just um yeah because that that thing of waking up is so easy to just be in your phone straight away like jump up because our phones are often our alarms as well so it's like ah, straight on the phone oh wait let me just quickly check this and this and then that email pops in it's like you know what i'm gonna put that in the room (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna shower first or i'm gonna have some water first or you know putting these other things and prioritizing these other things first that's had a really um nourishing effect on me i mean that's a way of giving yourself space right yeah that's i mean i think it's probably it'd probably be a a big a big step for a lot of people because i mean that's just the way we've come to to exist these days like they're kind of like our right hand man or woman let's not call it a man but like Mm. do you know what i mean like it's it's what we turn to for a lot of things these days and having your phone as soon as you wake up to like be able to to check up on what's been going on since you've been asleep (laughs) crazy huh mate i know just like it's just the natural for some reason it's 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 our natural like mode and actually it doesn't need to be you're right like keeping it just keeping it from you just for just that a little bit of time when you wake up actually is is a really good thing it's like it's allowing you to kind of have your have that bit more space like once you've woken up because that time is just you're not conscious at all like you're just resting your brain but if you're then suddenly going into like full steam ahead again it's just it can be quite a lot definitely and um I've been trying as well to varying degrees of success uh, to varying degrees of success um to give myself an hour before I go to bed where I'm on my phone as well mm-hmm. um just uh, I guess leading off of what you were saying you know like the mind is constantly active you know and having a bright screen in front of your face before you go to bed is probably not the best thing either mm. um but yeah, that one's still a work in progress. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess on on top of kind of the phone thing, um, I have been teaching myself to play keys. Um, so my partner has had a Rhodes piano 
in like our living room space for the entirety of her time in the <laughs> flat and i just felt like yeah that needs to be played yeah 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 <laughs> something so beautiful can't just be an ornament you know yeah. what i'm saying like it's, it has to be touched and you know just even if i just touch some keys i'm just like yeah okay, cool. <laughs> it has form and function exactly exactly um which in itself has been a very therapeutic thing to do. Mm. Um, and I feel like I need to get better at getting into a routine. You know, maybe it needs to slip into that time after I've just woken up and then before I do anything on my phone, it's like, okay, I'm going to do this in the morning and play for just half an hour, or whatever. Like, and trying to return to a, a childlike mm. fascination with learning as opposed to the adult side of our brains which is like oh my gosh i don't know this instantly oh, i'm rubbish you know <laughs> like when kids learn to do anything is very much just like oh, what like i can press one key and it makes a sound sick mm. if i press freedom that makes you know like that kind of approach i'm trying to remind myself of that um funnily enough like i haven't actually been listening to anywhere near as much music this year as like i have in previous times you know um and if i have i haven't really listened to a lot of dance music mm. um it's mostly been kind of horizontal music <laughs> yeah explain that a little bit. horizontal la laying down music stuff yeah. that you can just like coast and you know read a book to or whatever um yeah um and then very recently very recently um started running with uh a f two of my friends mm -hmm. Um, I tried it earlier this year by myself and found out very quickly that I, I recognize that I, I, I need like competition, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I need, I need like to bounce this energy off of someone, off of other people, you know, thankfully my two friends are quite like, you know, right, cool. Like what, four and a half minutes per, per kilometer. Right, cool, cool, cool. Let's do this kind nice. of thing. And I feel like that's really even, even, yeah, just so early on into doing this thing together. I feel so much more alive, mm. you know, after the run, like so much more energy. Mm -hmm. It probably also means that by like a certain time in the evening, I'm just like, right, cool, I'm ready for bed. That's good though, isn't but it? But that's right? good, you yeah. know, that's good. It's so a good feeling, isn't it? It really is. Um, so yeah, so shouts out to, to Teo, shouts out to Rowan. <sighs> yeah, you make those 7 a.m. wake-ups <laughs> worthwhile. 7 a.m.? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we tried, we tried. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, cool. Well, I want to kind of go back a little bit and just kind of, I guess, like focus a bit on the journey that you've had. Um, so I guess where I'll start is like, do you remember when or what it was that I guess like formed like the defining moment when you decided you wanted to like have a career in music at all? Yeah. Um, so funnily enough, it's actually, f I say forced upon me, but I should probably contextualize. So <laughs> before, I mean, music has always been a part of my life. I'm sure that's a common story, but my Jamaican dad and Grenadian mum were always, you know, music was blasting out all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so it was always there, but throughout my early life, up until I was probably 15 or 16, football mm. was my thing. And so I played at, quite a high level up to a certain point and then um when you say high level 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Look at you teasing this out of me. That's so funny. Um, yeah, uh, I had I had time at academy level, um, and yeah, after a point, um, I had a major injury, messed up my knee, and was then forced with a real fork in the road mm. in terms of my life. Like, here's this thing that I've been focusing on for the majority of my life. And then it's like, right, well, what are you going to do now? Mm. And so I'd always loved writing short stories. My mum had always, like, loved reading me stories when I was young. And mm. I'd kind of picked that up and realised that, yeah, I kind of liked doing that. I liked words. Yeah. And I liked playing around with them so my entry into music was actually via music journalism sure i guess tying together two of the things that i really enjoyed um aside from football and so i went to university uh, went to bournemouth university and studied multimedia journalism and the key moment for me the turning point was being told in one of the early lectures that oh yeah you you guys should wait until you're in your third year of uni to look for work placements. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, that's mad. Like, <laughs> no, I want to search now. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, I remember avidly like calling up loads of magazines, cold calling them and just being like, yo, I'm just like a budding journalist. I just want to learn and getting loads of those. And then I called up Clash magazine mm -hmm. and was like, oh, can I, I just want to come along for a week. And Matt, bless him, from Clash, was like, no, come for a month. Nice. And so, yeah, I I, I kind of just went and did it. And so I was juggling being in Bournemouth and come back to London to do this little um, internship. Mm -hmm. And it led on to me, um, yeah, landing a kind of like freelance role mm -hmm. at the time, because obviously I couldn't be in an office or whatever. Um, but yeah, that was a moment for me where I was like, whoa, so like you can, like this this is a thing. You can do this music journalism thing. And um, yeah, that that was the moment. Cool. Where, and that was probably when I was about 18. Okay. Yeah. And I guess, what was that? Remind me what the, the degree was that you were doing, what you were studying? Uh, I was studying multimedia journalism. Multimedia journalism. Okay. And... What was the um had that I guess I mean it sounds like this is always a very probable sort of like direction you're gonna go in, but I'm intrigued to like to know like what your your parents thought when when you said you wanted to go into music. Cause, I mean like I know from I mean actually I built it up in my head quite a lot, but when I my route was not quite the same, but I kind of worked, I did like engineering and then decided to have a change in career, career path, decided to go into music, moved back to London from Bristol and had to like break this news to my parents that I was going to do music. And actually I built it up to my head to be way more than it was uh, in reality. Um, but I know coming from um, African, West African family that the, there was always like this kind of expectation that I'd go into more of like your classic role uh, type of job. So like, your like lawyers your doctors your what have you um what was the reaction from your parents and was it what you expected um well i was 
pretty lucky in the sense that my parents just kind of just trusted what I wanted to do, you know, mm-hmm. which as you say, from like a Afro-Caribbean perspective, I've had loads of friends who, you know, whether it be in music or something slightly um, left of the kind of doctor, lawyer route, you know, they've had like a bit of a harder time explaining to their parents what it is that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was pretty lucky in the sense that I guess my, cause my mum and dad were music lovers anyway, specifically my dad, you know? Um, but yeah, so it, it, it wasn't as hard as it, it could have been. Um, and when I kind of expressed that it was music journalism that I was focusing on at the time, I also don't think they really understood what that <laughs> meant. Like, I think in my mum's mind, she thought I was going to be like Trevor McDonald. Right. That That's what like <laughs> journalism was to her, isn't it? Like, oh, you're going to be in the news. Like, oh, okay, sick. That's yeah. also cool. Um, and yeah. And so it wasn't maybe until I got my first bylines in like print and I was like, mum, look, like this is what I'm doing kind of thing. She mm. kind of begin, begun to understand what it was that I was actually trying to to get at, you know, but oh, yeah. Yeah. Having your name written down somewhere and being able to show someone, show your parents like this physical thing. I remember like, yeah, that was a big moment for me when I was able to do that. It's like, see? This, this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, cool. Well, like, I guess then this kind of is a quite a good point. I mean, I, could you like kind of just in however briefly you want to, but like kind of tell us a bit more about like your journey then in music from this point of going into music journalism um, up until this point, like how, how has that been? Where did you go? What were the paths you took? Yeah. So I guess during uni, I was doing the uni thing, going to lectures. And, and I, you know, my, my time at uni was kind of like bittersweet. I feel like I learned a lot about myself being a black man in a very much like predominantly white world, having come from, so I grew up in Bow in East London and, you know, being in ENDS, it's like, yeah, I'm just used to, used to being around like a multicultural environment and then going to somewhere outside of London and, yeah, being somewhere which isn't necessarily. And I guess the microaggressions that I had to face. And if I'm honest, I didn't understand. Yeah. At that time, it was only kind of in retrospect that I realized what I'd been through. But yeah, so um, the course itself, um, I learned I learned a bit, but I learned a lot about myself. Um, so yeah, during uni, I was doing that. By second year, I kind of, started taking on more work with Clash um, and was doing like like little press trips here and there to the <laughs> to the wonderment of the lecturers. Um, and so fast forward after uni, um, went to work at Clash as a like an editorial assistant type thing. From there went on to work at Vice and Noisy um, with my good friend Ryan Basil. Um, after that, um, I tried my hand at working at a major label. Mm-hmm. I was a marketing assistant at Virgin EMI. And to be honest, I knew from the off that I probably wouldn't enjoy it mm. there just because of my 
little knowledge of how major labels work. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I quickly learned that, you know, in order to do this thing, it's also, it's just as important to learn what you don't like as it is to learn what you do like. Yeah. And I picked up a few tricks of the trade there as well, you know, and so it was a worthwhile experience for a year. And it's there at Virginia Mai that I met Amon, mm-hmm. who, you know, actually I should, before I go there, um, so Touch and Bass actually started as a mix series uh, a, a weekly mix series or bi-weekly mix series sorry at Vice at Noisy um, so yeah it was like I would get someone to make a mix and then I would interview them as well in a very like silly kind of like what did you ha- what do you like to have a breakfast kind of mm-hmm. but fun way you know like, yeah. I really enjoyed it and um, yeah so when I was at Virginia my me and Amon bonded over like a mutual distaste for what was happening at these major labels and he'd somehow found out about the touching base mix series too and he was like yo man like we need to turn this into something like mm. it should be a dance and it you know that's something i'd always thought would be great as well um so we joined up and linked up on that somewhere in the middle of all that i'd left virginia my and um started working at boiler room mm-hmm. initially as like a a short-lived there was a short-lived like editorial section there with uh gabriel satan mm-hmm. who's an incredible writer yeah incredible mind um and then that slowly developed into like me doing programming and hosting shows there you know um alongside yeah what i feel is like some of the most talented people i've i've worked with to date you know and then parallel to that touching base was becoming a club night and you know yeah, it was slowly kind of becoming its own little thing on the side. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of experience in there. Um, lots of different places that you've been. Would you say that there've been? Um, I guess I mean, what, what I want to try and do is is understand maybe your experience as as a black professional, kind of going through the industry in that way, and um, how how yeah what was your experience and how how did you how do you feel like you have i guess how did you feel you navigated like any sort of challenges or were there any sort of like invisible barriers that you had to kind of like face during that time yeah plenty um as i was referring to earlier my experience of uni and being one of very few um people of color kind of trained me to um i guess see the signs of when i I feel like i'm being mistreated Mm -hmm. but even still you know there were moments where i just had to i had to learn right okay this is how people think or this is how you know people feel is the right way to treat someone or this is the ignorance that people have you know and so yeah uni kind of readied me gave me a bit more of a hard shell and even if i go further back you know i'm sure this this sentence will (laughs) resonate with a lot of uh, people of color but i always remember my mum and dad saying you're gonna have to work twice as hard Mm. in order to get anywhere so Mm. with that kind of backbone of information i was always kind of like 
going through the world with like, right, that's just that's just how it has to be, you know? And it's only in later times I'm like, right, that's not right. Mm. What? Why? You know, I'm just as good as that person, if not better. Mm-hmm. Why should I have to work tri- twice as hard to get to get where they're at, you know? And so, yeah, I've been hit with loads of microaggressions and some less micro, like yeah. some big aggressions. And, you know, I think one of the major things I often think about is just the structure of a lot of businesses and how, you know, a lot of the creative minds, the ones that are doing all the busy bees, the ones that are doing all the work, coming up with the great ideas and making things happen, all tend to be people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but why is that never reflected higher up? Why, why, why? Indeed, yeah. Um, and of course, some of the things that have happened this year have highlighted how ridiculous that is. Mm-hmm. But also, why has it taken till 2020 for those realizations to, to happen, you know? And I guess on one hand, you could be like, well, at least it's happening. There's so much work to be done and it is slowly beginning to change. But I'm constantly just like, really? Like you needed a whole pandemic to realize that, <laughs> like, to realize this stuff? Yeah. Um, so yeah, man, I, could, I can think of many examples as to like the, the ways w- where I've been mistreated taken advantage of um and also the experiences of friends where it's like because yeah i guess the other thing is like yo if if you actually stand up for yourself and then you call out certain behaviors Mm -hmm. you get labeled and brandished as difficult or you know, trouble or like hard to work with. It's like, no, I'm just standing up for myself. Yeah. You know? And just the fact that I'm doing that should be, you're like, yeah, make the change. Mm-hmm. I'm calling you out, make the change, you yeah. know? And I think that same sentiment can be carried across so many um, big mistakes from both our industry and beyond, you know? And I think, I think actually this, what you what you say about like this whole being labeled um i think a lot of that comes from like a misunderstanding well not misunderstanding but a lack of understanding because of the fact that there's so little representation and when you have when you don't have like or when you have rather an imbalance in a workplace and when the minority is literally the minority like numbers wise it really, it makes it that much more difficult because there are there's so many few there's so few voices to speak up for that experience that you're having and people who understand what you're going through. Um, and speaking of like, I think for me, like one of the my one of the big things which has kind of motivated me being a black professional in the music industry is is about this need for having more people that I can see like elders who I can see doing the same thing as me people I can look up to um would you say there have been any important role models for you or and possibly mentors like in your journey up until now definitely yeah I think that as as black people especially 
we have a very strong tradition of passing on the baton. Mm -hmm. And that goes back as far as people, you know, that concept of whether it's stories, mm -hmm. information, knowledge, you know, being passed around from elder to younger, you know, and I think that's such, that's definitely something that's important to me and something that I want to definitely, well, I strive to continue. Um, but yeah, I can think of a few actually. Um, I want to give shouts out to Tony from CDR, who of course you know very, very well. Yeah. Um, who, man, he's such an important member of this musical community. And I should say his full name, Tony Nwachuku. Um, both with CDR as just like a point of, a font of knowledge. And also for someone who has consistently done things their own way. Mm -hmm. And strived to stick to what their thing is, you know. I hear that. You know. Um, and I think that's actually like a quality that I can say for a lot of people that I'll mention, you know. It's just that thing of just being like, yo this is the mission, this is what I'm on. And you know, to varying levels of flexibility, they're just like, this is it. Mm -hmm. So shouts to Tony, um, shouts to Eric Lau, um, an amazing producer, talent, mind. Um, shouts to Rahel from the, from the band Hijira. Um, who's helped us, like myself and Alex, like immensely, not only just with touching bass, but just, you know, cause like Rahel has been in, in the music world for quite a while and mm. um, I'm sure has had her own kind of like troubles with it. Well, I know she has had her own troubles with it and she's questioned things. And so she's she's forced us to question ourselves and what we're trying to do on a regular basis. And there's just been a, yeah such a support mechanism um shouts to digo shouts to mr mensa um both of whom are not only musical like demigods in my eyes like <laughs> when i when i found their music it spoke to me so intensely like, mm -hmm. and um I feel like there have been a few of these moments in like my musical discovery, but like listening to their music felt like home. Yeah. Um, and Mr. Mensa, I'm not sure if a lot of people know who he is, but I refer to him as Mr. Mensa because that's how he likes to be referred to. He is a I mean, professional. Yeah, he is Mr. Mensa. Yeah. yeah. And also he has this uncanny ability to just pop up. At, he's a wizard. Mm. He has this uncanny ability to just pop up with like words of wisdom whenever I feel like <laughs> when they're necessary, like it's mad. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember one time just bumping into him in a random Sainsbury's in the middle of uh, West London, like near Labbrook Grove kind of thing. And he just kind of turned around the corner and he's like, oh, didn't happen to see you there. And I can't remember what he said, but he said something which is so succinct and so like, I needed you right now. <laughs> he has that ability, you know. Serendipity. Yeah, and I, I actually feel like, yeah, he's not he's not from here. 
<laughs> alien because you can play every instrument yeah like this yeah this guy is something else would you say there have been any other sort of like pearls of wisdom that you kind of take that are still with you now from Mr. Mentor from anyone that you've uh, been lucky to have either as a mentor or as a role model mm. I guess oh man I think one of the one of the strongest one is definitely just be strong in your like in terms of knowing where the goal is mm-hmm. and I'm obviously paraphrasing knowing where the goal is but also being flexible in your ability to get there you know because there will be times where opportunities and forks in the road appear and it's like I guess just being dealing with things on a case by case basis and be like analysing it taking time you know because I do feel like whether it's like subconsciously or whatever. Um, you know, when opportunities are put on the table, it's like, oh my gosh, this opportunity, like this, I don't know when I'm next going to get an opportunity like this, you know, so I just need to take it kind of thing. Like actually stopping and pausing and being like, right, let's analyze this. What are the pros? What are the cons? Um, one from Rahel is don't under undervalue yourself. Mm don't undervalue what you are bringing to a space mm-hmm. you know it's so we're so important yeah ultimately so much of the music that we know and love is black music and we are it we yeah. know it so well so you know slap a couple of zeros on that um <laughs> or those drops because like, you have to you have to negotiate yeah you have to like as you say, value yourself. Mm. And it's so easy not to. 100%. I think it all goes, because it, it all ties in, man. Like you, you don't see people. Like ourselves. Like yourselves. So then you don't see the value in, in your own contribution. 100%. But then how is it that music itself is built on blackness and then doesn't, you know, it's just, it's things like that, which are, yeah. which are mad to me. But, um, yeah, I'm sure other nuggets of knowledge will, will come to mind as well. It's always that thing, like, when you get put on the spot, it's like, oh. It's like when someone asks me, oh, what is, what's your favourite album? I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, <laughs> for a moment, I freeze. You know, I've got a few. But, um, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, I guess I want to focus a bit more on on your main your main thing, your main focus, um, touch and bass. I mean, it's been, how, when did you say it was? So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like 2014. 2014. Yeah. December, 2000, 10th of December, 2014, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I mean, you've achieved a lot in that time. So congratulations for that. Oh, thank you. Um, and you mentioned it started off as a, as a mixed series, like, when you actually kind of like officially formed outside of that existence into the dance, were there like any particular aspirations that you had for it at that time? It's mad. Like at that time, I was just really exploring and analyzing and breaking down what physical space meant. Mm -hmm. And that's still something that is always in my mind. You know, you think of, all of our favorite musical movements, whether it be like a 
a blue note for for jungle or like plastic people for co-op or and forward or what these like they all had their physical space mm. or you think of like electric um lady studios for like the soul Aquarians. Mm-hmm. there was always a, a physical space for just things to just exist and be incubated within yeah. and so i didn't have this grand plan for touching base it was very much just like i just recognized that um i i didn't feel like there were enough spaces for me and potential friends to enjoy the music that i was into like the full spectrum of it you know i was i i caught the tail end of plastic people um and you know the way in which like people like fear would p- play their residency and like abu and, like ab- yeah you know like and how like abu was like so um open to playing music of all of all kinds and but for my age group i didn't necessarily feel like i had enough spaces like that to explore so that was it it was just like right we need a f- space to dance and i just want to keep the music as open policy as possible you know and i really like after that first one when wulu who's also part of the touch and bass like crew when he was playing like tracks from d'angelo's voodoo at peak time i remember standing at the back of the room and just be like i feel like this is something mm. yeah and i guess uh you mentioned it before i wanted to go a bit more into the fact that you call it a dance and not a party, like in your art, in your eyes or in your minds, like what's the, what is that? What's the, what is the reason behind that that particular articulation? Yeah. Well, like, so it's actually, um, yeah, there are multiple definitions for it. As I was explaining earlier, it's, it's a subtle hint back to, or hark back to um, the way that, my family refer to a gathering mm-hmm. whether it be a dance or a shabin or you know just like but yeah but like a big people dance was definitely the term that has always been kind of chucked around the family and extended family you know i love that big people yeah big people it's like ah oh, it's not for you <laughs> <laughs> even though like some of my earliest memories outside of the house you know obviously from family gatherings like uh for certain events and certain occasions or like the very few times where my dad would like take me to like his friend's house parties and it was like one blue or like red light in the corner mm-hmm. that's my first time that's the first time i got high basically 100 percent. there was like some strong whiffs of something something in the air <laughs> um so yeah it's there's that um paying homage to that um there's also the fact that we're trying to, yeah, simply as the word says, try and encourage people to just let loose and just dance in whatever they way they feel, you know? And I guess giving people the freedom to move how they want, you know? Someone who is just like doing proper 140 BPM grime head, head bop and up against the wall could be having just as good a time as someone who's like, pirouetting across the dance floor you know Mm. but i think that yeah even just in the name it's almost like okay this is what we're here to do and you're allowed to just do that you know yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i like that i think that there's i think the simplicity of it actually is it really i don't know there's something in that makes 
it feel like as you say like people know what they're there to do it's that i mean you can you could say that actually calling it a party kind of kind of provokes more connotations of like what you might expect and actually by calling it a dance actually there is no more expectation than than this like opp- get opportunity given to you just to come and and dance like and i and i mean like particularly now and i think i think a lot of people are thinking oh i miss dancing like it's just the thing that i mean there's obviously like being social and you can do that to a certain extent but like there's so different like when you're when you don't have that ability to share like a dance floor with people and yeah it's not for everyone but i think there's 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 something in that for me for sure yeah yeah and i mean you say it's 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 not for everyone i guess yeah i guess i guess not you know in the space is open people can come and jam out and do what they like you know but i think that there's also some, so something to be to be said about setting an intention about the space that you create mm-hmm. you know and setting certain like guidelines as to how we like to operate in a space you know i always say that if you enter someone's house they may have certain rules about okay so you need to take your shoes off at the door or you know like there's certain guidelines that you set in space because it is your kind of you, you set the, you set the space yeah um and so it's not dissimilar from how we like to have the dance really yeah. cool and um and it's expanded like from a dance to a label a live series event what was that process like for you um so i've realized that i'm actually quite an impatient person <laughs> um I think that I have this concept of the spinning plates in my mind when it comes to touching bass, you know, mm. and like I've always had, I'm one of those people that has like loads, gazillion ideas and only over the rec- like last couple of years have I learned how to really kind of filter out what actually makes sense and what doesn't, you know. Um, but so yeah, if you imagine the spinning plates, the the radio was one okay cool that's kind of doing its thing cool i can afford to just let that go that's doing its thing the dance cool doing its thing and then with the other stuff it was like right how are we going to make sure we build this um around the same ethos keeping the energy right as well and and i just needed to give them time to develop you know as i say the the label had a couple of like false starts but the way that it's unraveled now is just that's how it was meant to be and it's beautiful in this way um yeah same goes for the concert series and everything else you know it's just taking its time obviously this year was supposed to be the year where we were supposed to kind of rekindle that but hey just next time next year whenever Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and then yeah of course got more ideas for stuff um so yeah just trying to make sure that they um they happen in the right way and i have to give a lot of love and appreciation and thanks to alex rita my partner Mm -hmm. because she's really instilled in me this thing of like no sit with the idea is it gonna work you know and i still find it difficult (laughs) but like (laughs) it's been so important to have someone like that who's just like no 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 take time and question and, and hold me to account yeah yeah 
providing a bit of balance. Mm. Yeah. And so I know um, you are making music hey. the behind the scenes, yeah? Hey. <laughs> yeah, hard type <laughs> people on that one. Um, but there was a time where you actually stopped for a while. Um, and I know that's been, that was for like reasons of self-esteem. Could you like kind of tell us a bit more about that and when that was? Yeah, so growing up in Bow, like at the time the epicenter of grime that was like the first music outside of my parents music which grabbed me by the throat and was like yo <laughs> what is this i remember the first time listening to like some esky beat in my bedroom's yard on bow road in his like bedroom packard bell computer and just like blasting out like fo studio free and like he's like, yo, listen to this tune by Wiley. And I remember just being like, what the hell is this? Mm. And then, of course, like cracking um, FL Studio myself, the yes. demo. Yeah, which used to close every single time like you finished or, or you closed the program. I made them ones, innit? Yeah. <laughs> so which which in, in hindsight was actually a really um, helpful kind of exercise because it forced me to kind of get my ideas out and be like right this is this is final this is just a, a figment of this this is like a, a moment right um so yeah i was making music quite a lot alongside playing football and then i got to uni and was listening to loads of music but wasn't making it just stopped making music um and then having left uni i don't know there was just between that between that moment and I would say early this year, last year, I've just been in this constant um, kind of like low self-esteem loop where it's like, ah, oh, you should be making music. You know you can make music, um, but ah, oh, you know, like you need to give it more time and then I don't give it more time. And then it's like, oh, you're getting older, you know, like why are you not making music? And it's just constantly just like feedback loop of of, mm. of being like, yeah, I should make music. Ah, oh, time is ebbing away to the point where I'm now here. And I guess partially like ruining the time that I let slip away, but also trying my best to just be like, yo, there's no time like the present. Mm -hmm. Let's just jam. Let's just like make some stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so... I have to give shouts out this time to Alex again, to um, Molinaro, who's not only one of my closest friends, but an incredible DJ, an incredible producer. And, you know, earlier this year, we just started, like, just jamming out on some of his, like, outboard gear, just, like, playing keys, playing some synths, and finding out that, like, the Moog bass is, like, we are we are one. <laughs> 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 maybe that's because of like the sound system culture just kind of like it's just kind of it's being tickled a bit <laughs> um which has been really beautiful just to yeah we we just like the whole music making process has just been like all right just press record on logic and then just just jam for hours and yeah. then listen back after it and just be like whoa what was that at like 17 minutes and 45 seconds let's just like go back at that and yeah, that's been really great, but yeah, self-esteem for all, for prior to that was just, yeah, I was really beating myself up and um, 
yeah, kind of forcing myself into a corner as to like what I should be and what where I should be and this and all that stuff, you know. And, yeah. I think it's um, I think you you hit a good point. I mean, it's so easy like to to kind of get in your own head and let that kind of take over. And I think it's really sometimes you just don't even realize like how long and how much of an effect that way of sort of like thinking about what you're doing um can actually inhibit you from from literally just kind of like as you say press and record and just kind of breaking down that first barrier mm. um it's kind of like just i think what it is essentially kind of getting out your own head and actually either talking and i think that's kind of what you're doing by kind of jamming you're kind of like you're trying to talk it out like this is what i wanted to do i'm just gonna just see what happens once i start messing around essentially and it's just like really it's almost like it's a it's a it's a form of therapy you could say 100 percent, yeah 100 percent, yeah and um I guess with that in mind, you I fully understand why musicians, artists, producers, you know, try and make a rhythm every day or something like that because it has that therapeutic energy about it, you know? Mm. Yeah. And speaking of, so I guess, like therapy, um, you've been running, Touching Bass have been running a few campaigns with um, Love Language. Yeah. And which is a... Would you be able to like a, a black gifting sort of like yeah black gifting service service yeah, and I think, I mean, I guess like with Black Minds Matter being uh, a partner in this um, series, like would you be able to kind of, I guess, explain like what the route was for or the reasons behind kind of doing that and and would you say that actually like well being and mental health has been a big part of what you've what you've always done and and what you continue to do yeah well i think um as soon as i realized or gained the vocabulary to even like explain how i felt and i feel like yeah um communication and trying to yeah trying to communicate how i feel which i'm still very much like i have so much to learn mm -hmm. but even just that like initial moment where I was like, wow, this is an important thing. Um, from that moment on, I realized that, wow, I'm sure I'm not the only person feeling this. Like, yeah. And everyone has their trials and their tribulations, you know? Um, and so shortly, well, in the third year of university, I'm training back now, but um, I lost my dad and yeah, when that happened, um, I just spiraled basically, mm. and that was a that's like the hardest time. Mm -hmm. That's been the hardest time of my life, um, and I self sabotaged quite a lot and wasn't taking care of myself. And um, yeah, so I went to therapy, and going to therapy and having a conversation with i mean i i specifically asked for um a black male to mm -hmm. speak to yeah um because i felt like he would understand my yeah where i was at a bit more 
and just that process of going through that I realised how important it is to to take care of the mind you know it's, it's so interesting that when we're young like we learn about the firefighter we learn about the paramedic we learn about the policeman why don't we why isn't like you know the therapist put next to that as like such a crucial part of our lives mm. you know what i mean we should be looking at therapy and mental health in the same way in the same yeah in the same way that when we have an issue with our knee we go to the gp you yeah. know and i feel like un until we as a society as a society recognize how important that is people aren't going to be you know living their wholesome lives you know they won't understand certain part of themselves you know so um yeah wherever possible with touching base um and this is whether it's like officially on touching base or not or whether it's just in conversations with people i've always tried to um express the importance of of being in touch with that way being in touch with that part of yourself um and also just like helping young people is something that I've always strived to do and want to do even like I'm, I haven't even scratched the surface of that stuff yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so shouts to Jamil, like a long time homie for, um, yeah, we decided to work together on Love, Love Lockdown. He has this incredible black, um, uh, yeah, he has this incredible black owned um, gifting service um, which prioritizes self self care you know, whether it be like massages or just like tea, mm. you know, it's like, it's, it's things like that, you know, just like taking care of yourself. It's those little bits. Um, and yeah, so we decided to work on a little project, which hopefully speaks to our, um, yeah, our objective of trying to prioritize mental health really. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think actually, whilst you were speaking, it kind of made me think about when I've read about touching base and, and what it is as an entity. And it kind of comes from, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's about, it's as much about feeling um, the way you feel when you're in the dance as well. And I think that's such an important point. I think that we, we feel good when we dance. And I think if you're in a space as well, which contributes to that particularly as you say like there being a lack of spaces for for black communities to to really feel comfortable because it doesn't necessarily cater to to what they're into mm. this is all part of like your mental well-being and providing providing like safe and welcoming spaces for people who have all sorts of interests and all sorts of backgrounds and and always felt like there's been there hasn't been a space for them essentially mm. um yeah dancing is therapeutic yeah it feels good to just like move your body in different ways you know and um yeah i mean life is hard you know i feel like for five or six hours whether it's touching base or just a good party club now whatever you create a little sanctuary a little space where people 
hopefully feel open enough to just like do their own thing and it's like right okay gotta put on the jacket now and then go out into the world again but just for those five or six hours you're kind of yeah you're just doing you're doing your thing and um hopefully those around you allow you to do that and you feel comfortable enough to do that you know mm-hmm. yeah cool um i guess where i want to go now is essentially like are there would you say there are any there are any uh bits of advice or or would there be any bits of wisdom that you would give to to others who are looking to start up their own their own dance their own label anything that you've learned over the years that you'd like to pass down uh yeah um I feel like in order to start your own thing before it's all about intention basically and the intention of what touching base is has grown over time you know it's kind of developed and flowered but ultimately at the beginning of it like the reason why I started it was just to like create a space to hang out with some friends and just create a little bit of a yeah something a little something that we could call home hmm. um so whether it's that that you use as the fuel for your thing um, or not, or you have your own reasoning, just interrogate that and continue to interrogate it as you move through. Like I'm constantly thinking about, okay, right. So this thing that I'm doing, does it make sense in terms of what is anchoring this movement of ours? Um, obviously I can only speak from a London perspective, but finding spaces to do things in is becoming increasingly difficult um, as Babylon continues to shut down spaces and just make them into, you know, luxury flats and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, um, you really have to want this thing and be resourceful in terms of your search for your own sanctuary um yeah f for numerous reasons kind of touching base has tended to use non-club spaces and i mean part of that is like has been forced upon us simply because like our crowd doesn't tend to drink a lot of alcohol yeah and um yeah because they're dancing i guess and they drink a lot of water they might have like a couple of drinks or whatever um and i guess you know traditional venues need the bar in order to stay open and stuff and I completely understand that you know but as a result of that we've tended we've been forced to kind of use a Senegalese restaurant a Jamaican bakery um, a, pho a photography studio in Brixton mm. um, and yeah as a result of that I've kind of learned that it's not the space that makes the thing it's actually like the people that mm -hmm. are the space and and create create the vibe um so yeah definitely be resourceful um naturally try and find like-minded people um i feel like you know if, if 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 the vibe is right then people just naturally just gravitate towards it you know it's, it's, it's kind of weird how that happens but you know if you're like right this is the thing that i'm doing whether it's six days six months or a couple of years like people will 
will find out about it and you know and, and yeah just like align themselves with it you know i'm constantly in awe and just like this is crazy um when i think about how people find out about touching base in their different ways and mm. like when they explain how it's you know had an effect on them or whatever um yeah definitely try and find like-minded people um yeah if you're a person of color like recognize the power that we have um going back we've we've got got plenty of evidence of the magic that we hold within us musically and just <laughs> in life mm -hmm. you know and um i definitely recognize within myself and you know this is just me but a responsibility to kind of continue some form of lineage in some way or form um and continue to pass on like the baton to whoever um so yeah like recognizing the importance of like multiple generations being in conversation yeah massively listen to your elders but also question them yeah hold them to account you know help them learn and unlearn as well yeah. because yeah i've had some conversations where i've had to you know tell you know be honest about how i feel and stuff um yeah and there's probably loads of other things but they'll come to me at another point probably <laughs> <laughs> when it's too late that's um i mean that last point though i think is something definitely which is uh stuck with me and something i've been thinking about a lot recently just about this willingness to to listen to your elders and i think also as well your youngers i think i think yeah because it works both ways obviously like when you can have that open and honest conversation about the way the world is the way the world has been and learning from both of those instances i think it, it will because you yeah i mean the world is cyclical and I think if you can recognize that but then also look back but also look in the in the present and relate both of those things and, and see how you can move on from that I think you'll be in a good place when you can kind of hold all of that in your mind I mean it's obviously quite difficult but very important to to be open um great yeah thank you I think actually I think this is kind of what we have time for but thank you so much Errol um it's been really good talking to you um this has been our eight exchange in collaboration with black minds um there will be more to come and look forward to more in the future man thank you so much for your time as well man and uh yeah i'm sure we'll jam and speak soon of course always always peace